as you're opening to Psalm 110. We'll look at that together. Psalm 110, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. I think it's safe to say that as humans, we prefer certainty to uncertainty. I came across a study that actually showed people would rather definitely get an electric shock now, knowing they're going to get it, than maybe get shocked later. And it also showed that there was greater nervous system activation when they were waiting for this, this unpredictable shock. It's a, interesting to think about, thing to think about. I wonder how many of you would be the people that would go ahead and let's just get the shock done and over with, knowing it's coming. Or how many of you would be the person that, ah, I'll take my chances, I'll wait and see if I get that shock or not. As humans, we prefer certainty to uncertainty. We like to know things. I don't know how many of you guys remember the first time you asked that girl out on a date you wanted to know that she was going to say yes, didn't you? Or how many of you have gone through the process of buying a car? You wanted to know that that car was going to be reliable. Or how many of you parents want to know that your kids are going to turn out okay? Or how many of you thinking about retirement want to know that there's money in the bank so that you can be able to retire? As humans, we, we constantly live in this world of uncertainty and we cling to things that are certain, and we want to know things. And we want to, to have the answers to those things. The original readers of this psalm today understood that uncertainty as well. They had been promised a king that would come and reign them righteously forever. But if we look in the accounts of the kings in the Old Testament, that's not exactly what happened. It didn't, it didn't come right away. Uh, it was king after king that failed and didn't live up to their, their rule as king. And so the people of Israel wait in anticipation of, of the king that fails, and then the next king comes, and he fails. And finally David comes, and they think, oh, maybe he's the one that will, will reign us. But even David, we read, failed, and wasn't this king that they had been promised. And so we understand that they lived in this uncertainty as well. But despite the uncertainties of life, we... The Bible, in this passage today, wants us to be certain of something. And that's, that thing in Psalm 110 is, is the certain reign of the Messiah. In this passage, we see outlined for us three different facts that clarify this certain reign of the Messiah. We see that the Messiah will reign as the crowned king, the Messiah is the promised priest, and the Messiah will be the conquering warrior. But before we dive into these uh, three different facts, the psalmist starts out in verse 1 by giving us an overview of the whole passage. Look with me at verse 1 again. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
This phrase here is a direct quote from God. This is God speaking. It doesn't come from any other passage that the psalmist is, is quoting. No, this is a direct quote from God. The phrase literally reads, Yahweh says to my Adonai, or Jehovah God says to Son of God, Messiah. This, uh, this phrase is also actually one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. And we see here that the psalmist is clarifying the deity of the Messiah. And then the second part of that verse says, Until I make your enemies your footstool. And he draws upon the exaltation of Christ and the future reign of Christ over the earth. But I think it also will be helpful for us to zoom out a little bit and get the the greater context of Scripture and and to help us see really what's going on here and, and the full beauty of what this verse here is actually saying. And in order to do this, I like the way uh, the, an author I read once put it. He, he lays it out into six different acts. In beginning, the first act, he, he says, is God establishes his kingdom, which we know is creation. And this is where it all started in Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth, and God creates his, his kingdom. And he creates man in his image to be the subjects of his kingdom. And we see this beautiful picture in Genesis 1 and 2 of God's creation, and he calls it good. And then we see Act 2, rebellion in the kingdom, the fall. And we see the subjects of God's kingdom fall to the temptation of Satan, and they sin against God, and they rebel against God. And we see this kingdom, we see this rebellion creep up in the kingdom. Then in Act 3, The king chooses Israel. And this is redemption initiated. And we see God creating a plan and He chooses the nation of Israel to send His Son through that will come and will reign and bring redemption back to His people and back to His kingdom. And then we have an interlude in in uh, these acts that we see. And that's the the kingdom story waiting for an ending. And that's what we know to be the intertestamental period, the time before the New Testament, between the Old and the New Testament. And this is actually, or it's actually this nation that God chooses in Acts 3 that our people are dwelling in, in, in our text. They're, they're the people of Israel. And this is the, te- the, the text that we have today is written to them. And even on into this intertestinal period, the people, they had the psalm, but they, the, the Messiah had not yet come and was not yet reigning, but they looked forward to this, this day. And then, In Act 4, we have the coming of the King. And this is when Jesus comes to earth and He's born in a manger and He lives a perfect life so that He will die on the cross to pay the punishment for our sin and to defeat sin and death once and for all through His death on the cross. But we know He didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day and He is exalted to the Father and that's what we have here. He sits as... In our, in our passage in this verse, it says, sit at my right hand. And we see this exaltation of Christ on, to the right hand of God. He's sitting next to God on the right hand, on His right hand. And then we go into Act 5, which is the spreading the news of the King. And that's where we dwell as the church. And we are Christ's church. And this is the, the mission of the church. Is, as the king has come, he has been born, he died, and he conquered sin and death, and now we live as part of the church. And this is where we are. And we have been given the task of spreading the good news of this king and the coming of this king to all those around, around us so that they 
can understand and come to know this King as well. And so we wait in His return, living in this command that He has given to us. And our text today is motivation for us as we live in this, in this time. And it gives us motivation and hope as we see this King presented to us and as we'll, we'll even dig into later. And then, Act 6, the return of the King. Redemption completed. This is the promise of the future day that is to come when the Messiah will come and reign in victory. And He will conquer His enemies and He will put a finality on, on sin and, and evil. And He will reign as King and Messiah over all of the earth and all, 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 over all people. And this is also what we see in this first verse. It says, Until I make your enemies your footstool. And so we see this idea that Jesus or God is going to come and the Messiah will put his enemies under his footstool and he will reign as king with his enemies under subjection to him. And so this is the bigger picture, the bigger context that we need to understand as we, we look through this passage and we see what is outlined for us here, the certainty of the Messiah's reign. Again, I'll just go over these three facts that we'll look at as we work our way through this passage. We see the certainty of the Messiah's reign outlined for us in the fact that the Messiah will reign as crowned king. Also in the fact that the Messiah is a promised priest. And lastly, that the Messiah is, will be, the conquering warrior. So as we begin, the first fact that we look at here in verses 2 and and 3 is the fact that the Messiah will reign as the crowned king. Look again with me at verse 2. It says, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. We see here in this this verse, the psalmist gives us a picture of a coronation ceremony as God, Yahweh, Jehovah, passes down his scepter to the Messiah. We we know that a scepter was often a symbol of authority for kings. It was was a rod that was made out of wood or iron, and it was a symbol of of authority as their kingship. And this is the picture that we get, God passing down his Messiah, or passing down the scepter to the Messiah, and showing his authority and rule over the people. And also we notice the verse says, rule in the midst of your enemies. And so we see that he had authority over all people, not just those who were in his kingdom, but over all people. Even his enemies he ruled in, and and those people are in subjection, and, and he has dominion over all people. Then we see in verse 3, look, with that, look at it with me. It says, Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments. And so we have the psalmist going on here and to describe the people or the armies of this Messiah, the armies that will be behind this Messiah. He says, first we look, he, we will, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. And so we see the willingness of these people to serve this king. They are ready and anxious to serve this king. It says on the day of your power, we know this to be the future day that we look forward to when Jesus will come with his armies down to earth to conquer and judge the world. And and it's these armies behind him that we see. And then he goes on to describe these further in some poetic language. He says, from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. And so 
the language he's using here, he wants to show us the abundance of armies that will be behind him. And it, and it gives this idea of walking out in the morning, walking out of your door in the morning, and, uh, in a new morning, and seeing the dew cover the grass and the dew cover the leaves. And there's a multitude of dewdrops covering the ground. And this is, this is the armies that will be, be behind the Messiah. There will be an abundance of them. Also, it gives the idea of, of freshness and youth. And, and there will be an energy be behind these armies of the Messiah. This depiction of the Messiah as a king is not only seen in our passage here, but it is something that is given to us throughout Scripture. Think back a couple weeks to when Andrew preached on Psalm 2. It states, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Also, think way back to our, our study in Mark. In Mark chapter 14, and verse 62, it says, And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds in heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verses 24 through 28, it says, Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And Revelation speaks heavily about the reign of the Messiah as king. Chapter 3 and verse 21, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne. Chapter 11 and verse 15, he shall reign forever and ever. Chapter 15 and verse 3, O King of the nations. And then chapter 17 and verse 14 and chapter 19 and verse 16, it calls Him Lord of lords and King of kings. And so we see that the Messiah, the King depicted in this, this passage is not just depicted in this passage, but it's something that the Bible is clear about and teaches throughout Scripture. As people that live in our modern day, we, don't, we, we understand we don't live under a monarchy as our rule. But we still understand this idea of having an authority over us. We're still ruled by a president. We still have bosses at our jobs. And we know what it's like to thrive under good leadership. And we understand what it's also like to suffer under bad leadership. And I don't know if you've ever been through a change of leadership, but you, exp you, you wonder... You know, what is this new leader going to bring? What changes are he going to, is he going to make? Is he still going to have uh, my best interest in mind? But this psalm in 110 declares that the Messiah will reign as king. He will be a crowned king, and he is our ultimate authority. I wonder, have you, have you acknowledged this king on the throne? Do we acknowledge this king on the throne? Not just are we aware of it, but do we acknowledge it? Have we acknowledged the king sitting on the throne? I was reminded of a, a book I was reading that he talks about this idea of kingdom and being a part of this kingdom. And the fact that this means the kingdom is much bigger than a good job, having a successful job. It's much bigger than an understanding spouse. It's much better than understanding kids and good kids. It's much bigger than this. It's a kingdom that, even though 
that was existing before we were born and continues on after we die. Even though we live in this time now, it's a kingdom that allows us to be a part of the same kingdom that uh, Enoch and Abraham and Elijah and Peter and Paul were a part of. And we are a part of that same kingdom. It's a big kingdom. And when we understand this, when we see the fact that we are a part of this much bigger kingdom, it gets our eyes off of ourselves. And it gets our eyes on the king. And this ought to change the way we live. It ought to change the way we think as we we see ourselves for who we really are in light of who the king is. And it ought to change the way we live and the way we think and the decisions we make. It also gives meaning to our work and our marriages. No longer are we just working to pay the bills, but we're working as a worship to the king. And our marriages are, can be seen as worship to the king as we draw each other closer to this king. The fact that Messiah is a crowned king also should be a point of great rest for us as Christians. Wondering who the next president may be or our next boss may be doesn't really compare in light of the fact that God sits on the throne and he is our ultimate authority. And as Christians, we should be able to rest in that. We shouldn't have to go about our day worrying and discussing with our friends what's going to happen. No, we can be certain that God is the king and he is in control. We don't have to lay in bed at night pondering what's going to happen with our lives and with our families. No, we know that Christ is the king and he is sovereign and he is in control. And so we see here that the Messiah will reign as a crowned king. And we can be confident of that fact and it should change the way we live and think. And as we've been able to see in this first couple of verses in Psalm 110, the certainty of the Messiah's reign played out in the fact that the Messiah will be the crowned king. But as we continue through the passage, we see not only will he be a crowned king, but we see this, this certainty played out in the fact that the Messiah is the promised priest. Look with me back at the passage of verse 4. It says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And again, we see here a direct quote from God, an oath of God. And so we know that it can be trusted. The verse says, He will not change his mind. He's not going to change his mind. He has declared this is a promise of God. And the promise, what is the promise? The promise here is that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, some quick questions might come to your mind. What, what is the significance of having a priest in this, this whole idea of the certainty of the Messiah's reign? What's the deal with a priest? Why is that important? Or after the order of Melchizedek, what is that talking about? I thought uh, the priests came after the order of the Levitic, followed the Levitical order. Well, well, we'll look at the significance of these. Both of these, beginning with this idea of priest. And in order to, to do this, we, we have to think back to our original readers and, and understand the fact that they lived in this time where their access to God came through a priest. If they wanted to confess their sins or if they wanted to hear from God, they had to go through the temple and they had to go through these priests. And so this was a, a big part of their life. Uh, it, they took it seriously. There was a list of different purification rules that they had to do to even enter into the temple. 
And it was only the high priest that could actually go into the Holy of Holies where, it was, where God dwelt. And there were certain things that he had to follow, strict rules that he had to follow in order to be able to enter into there. And if he, he didn't follow these, he could be immediately struck dead. And so they understood the importance of a priest. And they understood it as this was their access to God. And so they understood the need for a perfect priest because they had seen priests in the past. If, if we read back in the Old Testament, we see priests that had failed and not had lived up to their position of authority that God had granted to them. And so they understood the need for a priest and a, a divine priest. But then this, this, this idea of Melchizedek, what is he talking about here? Well, this is, this is mentioned two other, only two other times in Scripture. The first one we see is in Genesis uh, chapter 14, in verses 17 through 20. We see Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek, and he's called the king of Salem, but more importantly, he's called the priest of God most high. And so this order of Melchizedek, what we see was a priest for Abraham and was a priest of God. He's the first priest actually mentioned in the Old Testament. And so this is significant because we understand the Levitical order. Levi came after Abraham. And so the Levitical order came after the order of Melchizedek. And so it points to the fact that this is a superior uh, priestly line. This is a line that came directly from God. Our second passage that we see Melchizedek mentioned is in Hebrews chapters 6, 7, and 8. And he explains this idea even further. And he talks about the limitations of the Levitical priest. And he talks about how they were limited by death and imperfections. They were human priests. And so they failed. And they weren't perfect priests. And he goes on to explain that the Messiah has come. And he is going to be the high priest of a better covenant. The new covenant. And he will be a perfect priest. He will be a superior priest. And he, will, he is granted, we, because of this, this, the fact that the Messiah has come as a superior priest, means that we have direct access to God. And we know that when he died on the cross, that the veil was torn in the temple. And we now have immediate access to God through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we have been granted access to the Father to help us understand this idea of access, all of us I know are familiar with getting access into our communities as we live in gated communities. And we need access into them. If you're lucky enough to live in the neighborhood or uh, have someone close enough that lives in that neighborhood, you get a little remote or you get something in your car and you can just drive right up and push the button and the gate comes up and you go right in. And it, it's so nice that if you do have that. But otherwise... If you don't have that, you've got to go in the line of cars that may be there, and you've got to go through the security guard that's standing there or the machine that talks to you. And it can be a little bit of a pain if you're in a hurry and you're just like, I just want to get to my friend's house or I just want to go see my grandma or whoever it may be. And we want that, that direct access, but you can't necessarily do that. You go in there and you have to talk to the person and they want your license. And then sometimes you wonder what in the world they're doing in there with your license, and it, it, it can be a hassle. It can, be, it can take some time. It's not quite as easy as having the remote to get in that. And so we understand the, the convenience of having direct access. And that's what this promise of the Messiah as a promised priest grants us. It grants us direct access to God. We have the 
residential remote to the throne room of God. So I wonder, do we, as Christians, do we take advantage of this direct access that we've been granted? Do we wake up in the morning and go before God? Do we, do we access God before we even, after we wake up? Do we go to Him immediately? When we have a need, who do we ask? When our brothers and sisters in Christ need help, where do we go? When we get the bad news, where do we run? Is it to God? Is it to the person that we have access to and wants to talk to us and wants to help us? We have that access, but do we take advantage of it? How often do we allow our sin to get in the way of this access? To come be, to create a barrier between our relationship with God so we can't utilize this access that we have. We let, allow our sin to get in the way. How many of you have bitterness to, towards a family member or, or a friend that's creating that, that barrier? Or how many of you live with guilt in your life with the habitual sin that you just can't seem to get victory over? And that's holding back, before you, holding back your, your access to God and your relationship with God. Or how many of you are allowing fear and worry to distance yourself from God? And so that you feel like you can't go before Him. You don't trust Him enough to do that. Well, we must understand that God has promised that the Messiah is our promised priest. He has accomplished, he has conquered sin and death, and he has granted us direct access to God. And as believers, we ought to be taking advantage of that. We ought to be going before him and utilizing that. As we continue to work through our passage, and we've seen the certain reign of the Messiah played out in the fact that the Messiah is a crowned king, and now the fact that he is a promised priest. We, we work through now to the end of the passage and we see the certainty played out in the fact that the Messiah will reign as a conquering warrior. Look with me at verses 5 and down to verse 7. Starting with verse 5, it says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. This verse begins by saying, The Lord is at your right hand. For most people, the dominant hand is the right hand. And it is because of this that throughout history, this, this idea of your right hand has, been, has signified a place, position of, of honor and strength. And so this verse begins by saying that the Lord, Jehovah God, is at the Messiah's right hand. And so it is with this understanding that the Messiah, or that God is with the Messiah, that he begins his mission of conquering the earth. Look with me again at these verses, Continue on, continuing on into verse 6. It says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. We see here that the psalmist is expressing certainty and completeness of this Messiah's of this Messiah's reign and, and, and the fact that he's this conquering warrior and he's going to conquer with completeness and it's going to happen. Notice the vivid imagery that the psalmist uses. He says he will shatter kings, he will shatter chiefs. I'm sure all of us have, have knocked that, that glass off the table onto a tile floor and we see it shatter into a thousand pieces. Or recently, I've, I've understood what it is to, to, I don't know if you've ever dropped uh, 
a cup of dog food all over the floor. It just, it goes everywhere. Good luck trying to pick all that up. It shatters. It goes everywhere. And that's, that's the imagery that the psalmist is using because that is what is going to happen. This is what Jesus, the conquering warrior, will do to those who stand in his way. He will shatter them across the wide earth. Also, he says, he will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. And we see this, this battlefield just laying with dead bodies that have, have fallen in battle. It's a gruesome picture. But this is what is coming. This is what this future day of judgment is coming. That He says this day of wrath we know to be the, the, the coming day when the Messiah will come and, and conquer and bring judgment all those that live in rebellion to Him. And then in verse 7, He goes on to talk about the victory and the completeness of this. He says, He will drink from the brook by the way Therefore, he will lift up his head. This, this phrase, drink from the brook, by the way, it has the idea of, of conquerors when they were conquering nations. They, didn't, they often did not take a break. They did not take time to rest as they were conquering. They went on and they, they completed and they conquered the nations that they were going after. We have an example of this in Judges chapter 8 and the Gideon's 300 men as they've com- conquered, they'd already conquered several nations, and they're exa- the passage says they're exhausted, but still pursuing. They still had a job to do. And this is our conquering warrior. He's not going to finish until it's complete. He's not going to take a break. Oh, excuse me. So the, this, this phrase here, the brook by the way, talks about the fact that if they did stop, it was only to get a, a drink to be refreshed while they continued on. And so this is, this is the idea we have. The Messiah will continue on to completion. And the only break that he may take is simply to get a drink from the brook that is already on his way. And then it ends by saying, therefore he will lift up his head. And he lifts his head up in victory. He doesn't hang his head in defeat, but he lifts his head up in victory. We also see this used in Psalm 27. As the, the psalmist rejoices in the security that he has in the Lord. In verse 6 it says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And so we, we see this idea of lifting up his head in victory. This conquering warrior will not be defeated. He will gain the final victory. He will defeat evil and sin. And he will be victorious. Revelation Chapter 6 also speaks of this day and it it pictures the Messiah coming and all those on earth running and fleeing for their lives and and finding anywhere they can find as the Messiah comes and brings this destruction to the earth. To help us picture this idea of the one-sided victory that will be the Messiah's. Think back to your, your sports days. I don't know how many of you have been on the opposite end of a blowout game. Hopefully not as bad as the one that happened a, a little over a year ago now when Northeast Ohio College Prep lost to Gilmore Academy 108-1. to <laughs> That's quite a difference, a 107-point difference. One headline read, Ohio high school basketball team destroys poor opponent. The, the article went on to read, Gilmore Academy's girls basketball team defeated Northeast Ohio Prep in a Division Three sectional semifinal game on Wednesday night. 
But the word defeated doesn't really do what Gilmore Academy did to their opponent justice. They demolished them. They destroyed them. They took them and spun them on a stick for two halves. <laughs> and it's this, this same one-sided defeat that the Messiah will bring. It's the same victory. Those who stand in His way, those who live in rebellion to God, do not stand a chance. They will be destroyed. They will be defeated. They will be laid flat. He is a conquering warrior and He will gain the victory. As believers, do we live in anticipation of this fact? Do we recognize the fact that we serve a conquering king, a conquering warrior that has the victory, has already granted the victory? We know the end. We have the future. We are victorious. Do we live in anticipation of this day? Do we rejoice in this fact? I don't know how many of you find yourself often depressed or discouraged. When's the last time you dwelt on the fact that you serve a victorious king? You have someone who has granted you the victory already. Do we go about our days confidently knowing we know the truth about the end? And do we share it with others? Do we shy away from the fact that we're Christians? Or are we bold? We have the ability to be bold because we serve a king that has already gotten the victory. We don't have to shy away from the fact that we know this king and we serve this king. We can be bold in that fact. Do we share this? Do we share this reality with others? Do we do we want them to be a part of this kingdom? Do we care about the fact that judgment is coming their way? This picture of destruction is coming their way if we don't tell them. Do we think about these things? Do we allow our joy of this fact to be reflective in our lives? Do we encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ with these facts? And in our daily conversations, do we do we bring these things up? Do we talk about the victory that we have as the Messiah reigns on the throne? Also, this we can't help but ask ourselves the question. Which side of the king are we on? Are we certain we're on the right side of the king? In the beginning of the sermon, we talked about the the overview of Scripture, and we talked about the rebellion that comes in the kingdom and the sin that man faced, and the fact that if the the fact that if we do not call upon the Savior that He sent, that God sent, if we do not call upon this Messiah that conquered sin and death, then we are still living in rebellion to this king. If we have not submitted ourselves to Him, we still live in rebellion to Him. And just as this this passage says, this judgment is coming, we see this also in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 1, it it speaks about the wrath of God being revealed for all those that suppress the the truth. And in chapter 2, he states, God is storing up for Him wrath for this future day of, of judgment against all those who live in rebellion. And if you have not trusted by faith upon the Savior that has granted redemption to all, then you are still living in rebellion to the King. And this future day of judgment is what you have coming for. But thankfully, we want you to be certain today, just as we as believers are certain, you can be certain that this can be your King. And you can be, live in victory as well. As humans... We live amongst uncertainties. We constantly have questions come to our mind. Who will I marry? 
Will I be able to support my family? Will my kids ever turn their life around? Will I be able to retire in the next few years? We, we constantly have these uncertainties that surround us and that we think about. And, and we don't always, God doesn't always grant us the answers to some of these questions, but there is one thing that, the, that God wants us to be certain of, and that is that the Messiah will reign as king. This is something that we can be certain of. And as Psalm 110 declares, the Messiah will reign. And if we are certain of this thing, if we are certain of this, it ought to change the way we live. It ought to change the way we think and act. As we see the Messiah sitting on his throne as king, it ought to bring our minds to the fact that we are part of a much bigger kingdom than our, than our minds often like to think. We live as, as subjects of this king and our lives are, are to serve him. Our work should be a way of worship to him. Our marriages, our relationship with our kids is, is an act of, of worship to the king. When we recognize that the Messiah is our promised priest, we should, go, we should be able to go confidently before God and take our cares and our worries confidently before God since we have been granted through the Messiah, direct access to God. And as we think about the victory that the conquering warrior has brought, it ought to li- allow us to live victorious Christian lives as well. And it is the certainty of the Messiah's reign revealed in Psalm 110 that provides the only st- stability. This is certainty that empowers us and enables us to live as confident Christians until the Messiah's return. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we're so thankful that we serve a Messiah that is reigning as King. And that is our, our promised priest and that we can, we can go before you even today, right now, because we have been granted direct access to you through the Messiah, through the King. We thank you for that and we thank you that we live victoriously, that you have already won the victory. I pray that we, if there's anyone here that has not submitted themselves to you as king and still lives in rebellion to you, that they would recognize their need to come before you and bow their knee and accept you as their king and devote their lives to service to you. I pray that you would help every one of us as we go throughout our week, that we would recognize that we are a part of a much bigger kingdom, your kingdom, And may that motivate us and drive us to live our lives as as worship toward you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you are the reigning Messiah. In your name I pray, amen.